Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, business editor for Variety. Today, my guests are the leaders of Tomorrow Studios, CEO Marty Edelstein and President Becky Clements. The two discuss the company's unusual deal with ITV Studios, which allows them to put up deficit financing on some of their TV projects, a rare commodity for independent producers. The pair discussed the long road traveled to get the TV adaptation of Snowpiercer to TNT and Netflix this month, and the fact that the bar is high because of the success of the 2013 movie from Parasite director Bong Joon-ho. Edelstein and Clements also talk about launching an animation company in Japan and producing with the global market in mind for Netflix. And Edelstein draws on his experience as an agent at CAA and Endeavor to share some thoughts about this precarious moment for Hollywood talent agencies. Marty Edelstein and Becky Clements of Tomorrow Studios, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. This is a a really momentous time, a momentous week for your company, Tomorrow Studios. You are going to see the debut of a series project that you have been shepherding, by my count, for at least five years, probably probably longer than that. Snowpiercer, a very big, ambitious, the the kind of thing we don't see that much on linear TV anymore, a big, ambitious drama with big auspices, big cast, and it has, you, you have had quite a path to the screen with this project. Yes. So Snowpiercer is a drama series that's premiering on TNT, and a couple days later, it will have its international debut on Netflix. Tell us, I, I know it's not a succinct story, but can one of you tell us sort of the path that Snowpiercer has taken to the screen and what it feels for you guys to finally be sitting here, you know, with the premiere date within reach? Well, for me, it started in a very funny way. I was watching, I had been a fan of director Bong's for a long time, his first three movies. And I watched it with my wife on Netflix. And she looked at me afterwards and said, what do you think of it? And I said, we're going to make a TV show out of it. It just, from the minute I saw the movie, I saw the potential of what it could be, you know, the original was sort of storming the Bastille and was fantastic, but there was so much more material in the French graphic novel. And also, you know, it just lent itself to expanding it. Can you take us kind of through the steps of how you optioned the property? You set it up. Did you originally set it up at TNT? It's been it's been a while now. I can't even remember the trajectory. Yeah, we set it up once we had optioned it, which took a long time to tie down the rights. Um, Once we optioned it, uh, we had a number of offers. Kevin Riley really stepped up and ordered the 10 episodes and really kept his promise throughout the, uh, throughout the uh, process and guaranteed us enough money to actually make it because we knew it was going to be an expensive endeavor to undertake. Mm-hmm. So it was really TNT made the most compelling case. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then you had, you know, over the years you've had, you had creative changes. You had a couple of showrunner changes. Did you, did it move from TNT? At one point it was going to go to HBO Max and then it came back to TNT. Am I mistaken in that? Or? No, you're absolutely right. It was going to go to 
TNT, then HBO Max, then TNT, then HBO Max. Yes, it's just yes for a moment. It was that there was a six month period where TBS was going to air it, which was a little confounding to us. <laughs> Tell me now, how did the Netflix component come in, and did that make a difference in terms of this this project being the the resources that it demanded? Yes, made a big difference. Uh, Netflix. It was kind of funny because Netflix domestic didn't buy it. Um, and then the international came in, Larry Tans and inquired about buying the rights foreign for the rest of the world. And it really helped because as it, as everything we do, that's not on a streamer, we co-finance. So it made a big difference and gave us a cushion to make the show and it put the show in profits from the beginning. Was that a difficult conversation to have TNT uh, to have Netflix come in and sort of have a piece of this, or were, did they welcome that because it would allow the project to get made? Uh, the way our deal, our structure works with TNT is that we put up half the deficit, they put up half the deficit, and we take foreign, they take domestic. So it was really ours to do. So it was, it was zero. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. How was it for you just as a business for the, for the project to take, obviously, to take longer to come to fruition than you planned. Does that, does that create any financial challenges? Obviously I know it can create, you know, scheduling challenges for your creative talent. How, how did you manage through the, through, you know, unexpected delays? Becky, you want to? Well, we, um, I think if there's something, we, how, if we could characterize this process, it, it was, you know, because the idea in director Bong's movie was so foolproof that with every, creative change, every scheduling hurdle, every stage we had to buy to build another 30 train cars. Um, it was, uh, the concept so great and we were so tenacious about, we knew it would work. You know, you have to realize even through the creative changes, we had to speak to the actors to say, we're having a new creative direction, please stick with us. TNT changed the air date by years. Um, but what we were able to uh, leverage or convince them of is you're loving the creative content. So the quid pro quo should be, why don't you pick up additional episodes so that because we have a lot of very high end actors with a lot of offers and we can't hold them for 12 months, 16, 18 months. So uh, I think because we worked so hard to produce a great show and we, when we produce, we are involved in every outline, every casting session. We are on the stage. We are in at the edit bay. We really main stay on top of the creative from idea to marketing to launching. And I think that gave them a lot of comfort that they knew we would deliver. And so Marty was able to convince them to let's move into a season two, even before season one airs, because we just won't be able to hold on to all this talent. Um, and so... It was that persistence that got us, you know, we've, we've completed, except for nine days of shooting, we've completed almost all of season two. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about, um, you're going to be coming out on with episodes on a weekly basis in a world that, you know, we're obviously, especially now with so many people homebound, everybody is binging things. Are you concerned that that, that the kind of traditional format may, may, hamper some of the momentum you might have if you could drop all eight episodes. I'm not. It's funny. I I like the idea of streaming, but sometimes 
it gets harder because there's so many things out there and you watch three episodes of this, three episodes of that, and there are a few. I still kind of like the traditional wait for the next episode. It builds this pent-up demand in that. So I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I'm to answer your question, I'm not really concerned about it. And it's a thrill ride. I think the idea of watching four to six episodes of this back to back could be a shock to the system. (laughs) There's a lot going on. So, you know, I think of like succession and all like that was exciting to know that, you know, a new this week, there's a new one. You know, I do think there's value to it. Netflix, thankfully, is going to air the first two episodes back to back, which I think is smart just because Mm -hmm. of the uh, the way their viewers watch. So I think that's a good thing, but I'm not concerned about it. And then Netflix, if I understand right, internationally is also going to air the, the the episodes will roll out once a week, which is, you know, obviously unusual for them. Was that, was that a condition of the deal? Did, how did that come about? Cause that's such a departure for them. It was a condition of the deal because of TNT scheduling of how it could. So they couldn't, you know, they couldn't release it all at once foreign and have TNT releasing it, um, you know, releasing it on a weekly basis. It just, it just wouldn't have worked and it would have mucked up the the whole thing. Was that a tough conversation at, at Netflix or did they get it? They got it. They got it. They were so excited about getting it. They, they would call every week. When are we going to get it? When are we going to get it? When are we going to get it? You, after your long trial to get it to the screen, you must have, you know, the, the universe did smile on you with, with a director, Bon Joon-ho, becoming absolutely red hot with Parasite and its literally historic march, you know, through the past award season. You must have smiled at some point. Well, yes. I was, first of all, I was very happy for him and I thought it was well-deserved. But it's a double-edged sword in a way because now that he is the auteur that we always knew he was, we have a very high bar and very high bar to meet. So it, it's both good and added pressure. Uh, has he had any involvement in the series? Um, not really. He's seen it. He was on set a couple times. Um, you know, I think he wanted to observe but not get directly involved. He had already done it. He'd done his version of it. Mm-hmm. He said when he came to the set, because he was uh, the their train on the movie was built on gimbals. That he said even coming on the set brought back the motion sickness that he remembered from shooting the original. <laughs> he had a little bit of like, I don't know that I can, you know, get on another moving train again. Yeah, <laughs> I tell you, some, I think some of these uh, these apocalyptic productions really leave people with a little with some PTSD. let's switch to a very different subject um you know i I don't have to tell you it's it's rare for producers independent producers these days to walk into a situation especially a project of the scope of snowpiercer and to be walking in with any kind of deficit financing let alone half of it tell me about let's step back a little bit now and just tell me about the structure of your company you have a partnership with itv studios itv obviously one of the big uk broadcasters but Tell me how it is that you're in this, you know, very unusual position. Oh, my God. What a journey. (laughs) I, to be perfectly honest, I, we were at Fox and we loved the people at Fox. And we did Prison Break and Tim Allen and that. 
but I wasn't very good after being representing so many people and being used to dictate the terms to being told what we could do and not do. Um, there's no way the studio would have let us fly to Japan four times a year to, for the animes and things like that, that we're doing. But so I said to Becky, I'm going to go out and raise money or I may be done because I can't take this process. So I basically traveled the world and met every Chinese billionaire. Um, I met hedge fund guys who basically laughed me out of the room. And it was just serendipity that I was in Europe on vacation with my wife and I called, I had a company I represented called Hattrick in the UK, a very prolific company. Sure. It was run by a husband and wife team, uh, Jimmy Mulville and Denise O'Donohue. And I called Denise who had, they had gotten divorced. She was running ITV in-house. And I said, Denise, I'm in Europe. I'd like to come through the UK. Who should I meet? This is my idea. I want a partnership with a company that will let me basically do what I want with very little financial constraints, but some financial constraints to, you know, make sure we don't take on a ridiculous deficit that we can't recoup. And I want somebody, I figured I want somebody with a distribution system so that I know that I have a worldwide distribution system. So she said, well, why don't you come in and see us? We've been really successful in reality television in the US and it's been very hard to crack. So we went in and saw them. I went in and saw them and they were just the right people. They put up a lot of money to have this done and they they have been the greatest partners that I've ever had. And so if I understand right, I mean, you have a lot of flexibility to, to negotiate with networks and, and, you know, set up projects on your own terms. This sounds like the, the opposite of what I'm hearing from so many producers is that they feel boxed in by templates. Yes. You know, we constantly hear it's templates and precedents and we can't, we can't break that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give Marty, I'm going to give you some credit right now because it was kind of the, the fundamentals of, of the deal was, you know, he sort of recognized the chaos in the marketplace, that the, the structure of studio to broadcast was changing, the streamers were growing. I mean, this was, what, six years ago now. And a lot of what he said to ITV is you have to, you have to give us agility in the deal-making because the revenue streams are completely collapsing and changing. And so I, it was very forthright with them that that was a key component of the company structure. Um, uh, and it, and it was just at the right time. I mean, he was kind of ahead of it by, you know, six months to a year. Mm -hmm. um, be, obviously being in business with a UK media giant, you naturally gave you kind of a, a, a more global perspective on the business, but, but how much, I mean, how vital would you say it is having licensing revenue from overseas to making, to making shows of any kind of scope in, in the US right now? I mean, it's, it's vital. I mean, in order, because people don't look for us. It's a joke. My wife will always say to me, why can't you make law and order instead of these $10 million or whatever they are episodes, you know, they're so difficult to make, but that's what people want are these big shows. And, you know, they're not going to buy law and order for us. There's people who do that. And it's really, it's really important to have the foreign. I mean, to, and the funny thing is foreign has changed these days. So you're not, 
100% sure what has foreign value. Sometimes you're surprised in that, but we do look towards foreign as a important uh, way for us to make these shows. But we don't do pre-sales. ITV has been so good, we pick up the deficits. We need, we don't make any, have to make any pre-sales to, in order to produce these shows. So obviously international is vital to getting some production funded, but when you work with a Netflix or an Amazon, streamers are increasingly wanting all worldwide rights. They want, you know, they want to buy you out basically walking in the door. They want to buy out your rights at least for many, many years, if not, if not own the content entirely. Have you been able to have, you know, find some of that flexibility, deal flexibility in dealing with Netflix? Obviously you did in setting up Snowpiercer. Uh, well, they weren't involved from the beginning. There's some flexibility with them. You know, it's, it's, it's always a hard fight, but, you know, being in business with them is a, is a very good thing. Um, there are some rights that we can carve out. You know, they don't have a presence in China, so we kept China. Um, you know, there's partnerships on merchandising, you know, so... And it's an interesting thing with Netflix. I don't is that what you really do is, you know, since home runs are very rare these days, if you can get a big enough premium and because they like what they do, they tend to treat us very well. You know, you basically sit down and present value the money. I mean, you literally, you know, do you take X amount of money now or do you wait six years to do it? And you come to a conclusion about, you know, what it is you're getting versus what it would be down the road. And, you know, there's a calculation that you can use to see if it makes sense to do it. Do you see, um, you know, do you see a world where obviously Netflix is facing heightened competition? Do you see a world where there'll be, you know, some of the more traditional type of deal elements like, escalators and bonus payments for for certain viewership milestones do you see any give in the in the kind of the larger business model for streaming that has been you know that has come in and been so different than the broadcast and then in the ad supported cable well for me i always say chaos is good and more competition is good so you know the more competition is the more they need premium premium uh premium uh programming. You know, I had a funny conversation with a chairman of a, of a uh, studio and he said, I don't want to do business with you because I want to own everything. He said, but if you have something I want, then I'll do a co-pro with you. So the competition is good for us. Uh, whether there, I think there will be, I think the WGA negotiation will be important in that area. Um, but yeah, I think for premium, quality things that they that they want there will be you know some sort of a, an adjustment but remains to be seen mm -hmm. I mean you mentioned obviously that the kind of the nature of back end is is very much changing do you think that the industry is going to move to more of that upfront that kind of cost plus with premiums built in model or do you think that we will have the kind of still have the mix that we have kind of right now I think the, I think the industry uh, is going to fight it. Uh, I think it remains to be seen how it, how it comes out. Uh, I think, you know, the, obviously the major studios and networks obviously want to pay as little as possible and want to grab as many, you know, rights for as little as possible. But 
it's, you know, it's all about competition and leverage. Mm-hmm. And finding the right IP that's undeniable. I mean, that's the, that's where we have to differentiate ourselves. So we bring that thing into the chairman who says, okay, yeah, this one, I will break my business model because we have to have it. it let me ask you about ITV in the time that you have, partnered with them, they've had some regime change. Do you feel like they are, um, you know, have you extended your deal with them? Are they still, you know, still as, as committed to the, to the content business as they were under the previous regime? More. Um, Carol and the CEO McCall has been incredibly supportive. When we went to them to start this animation company, they didn't necessarily get it. And I explained it to them and they looked at me and said, Here's the money. Go, go. It's a, it's a, it's a good idea. Uh, no, they are truly. It's it's actually having been in this business that long. It's a strange experience. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, and it doesn't drop. They are truly the most supportive, creative, most supportive uh, partners I, we've ever had. Or I've ever had in my life. They're amazing. They're they're communicative. They're transparent. They're encouraging. Uh, gracious, intelligent. It's really quite pleasant. And we both just extended our deals for five years more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you must, I mean, you must get uh, quite a reception walking into a broadcast network these days if you have a project and to say that you can, you can actually, you know, reasonably can actually come up, come into them with some of the money. That's got to be a very different conversation than most every other producer coming in with a, you know, with a, with a different kind of pitch. Yeah. I mean, it, it really does help us there because of the state of the networks and that and the financing. And so it, it is a, uh, a real leg up in that regard. You know, the problem is, and the networks are really tightening their belts. I mean, you know, I was shocked when they passed on the David Kelly series for financial reasons. Um, you know, so the networks are a little different because they're, they're cutting back on what they spend. So yes, it's been, it's been a good experience for us because of bringing in the financing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, have- would never, we would never bring them these projects that we've set up at Netflix because we just know they can't manage that economically. Is that it sounds like because IP is so important to you, it sounds like the scouting process must be just finding those properties must be a very big, you know, must be a big component of your of your day. It's it's funny and sad because I've spent and Becky spent the last three or four years on airplanes. I mean, <laughs> if we find there's a piece of IP we wanted that was in Copenhagen with DR. We just got on a plane and flew there. It's always better, and this comes from my agent days, to be in person, in front of the per in front of the person because you make you make that connection. Now we're not able to necessarily do that, although Zoom isn't the worst thing in the world. But you know, it's really about being there and having the relationship. Japan really taught us there. You really you know have to be in front of them to get the IP. So it's, it's been affected a little bit, but we literally, if it's a good piece of IP, we'll get on a plane and go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, uh, Marty, as you mentioned, obviously you, you came up in the business as an agent. Um, so it's a, it's a heady time right now for the, 
Hollywood's largest talent agencies. There's a there's a, a, a big impasse going on between the Writers Guild of America and the talent agencies separating the, the people you never thought would be separated, the town's top showrunners and their agents. There's a big WGA negotiation going on right now that, that will, uh, you know, will affect business terms. What do you, um, when you look back at your agent days and you look at the business now, what do you think, what do you think is the cause of all of this turmoil? What is the, what is the disconnect that has made, um, that has led to this, you know, this, just speaking on the writer's situation that has led to this, this, um, you know, this impasse that is going on? I think there's a lot of frustration uh, with the back ends going away. And I think people are taking a look at what the agencies were making off the packages and sort of, you know, what they've made off of it. And, you know, certainly rebelling, you know, I think it's the writer guild leadership that has sort of beat the drum on this and, uh, you know, decided to take this on. And I think the balance of power is shifting, to be honest with you. I think that the agents, and it's a hard adjustment for them, are not in the position they were in the past. In, in terms of the leverage with the talent? Yeah. I think it's much more difficult for an agent to call up a studio and say, I'm not going to make the deal with your client unless you give me a package. I think that's what they rebelled against a lot, the writers. And you think, would you chalk that up to just consolidation among the big media players? Yeah, I think that has a big part of it. I would say for me, one thing that, you know, kind of going back to our idea of when we partner with writers, we're very transparent. So we will, when we get the budget in, we will go to the writer and say, take a look at this. This is what we're going to adjust and like, does that feel right to you based on the conversations we've had in, uh, in uh, creating the series? And I think there's something when they start looking at what's coming out of their budget and what is there, which are kind of the invisible costs that are just part of the negotiation and all of it. Uh-huh. It was a bit of a wake up call. I think there's something, you know, cause for, for the many years that I was working with bigger studios, even they don't, when you're just a producer, you don't necessarily get the budget. So you don't really know um, how the costs are allotted. And I, I know for my, for me in the last six years, because we do that, you can tell that there's not a lot of, ex, you know, these, cre- these showrunners don't have a lot of involvement or experience with budgets. We're in the position of really nobody has delivered us, delivers us projects we chase them. We're not like a production company that waits around for an agent or an agency or some uh, someone else to bring us the IP that we need. We actively chase it, and everybody's encouraged to look all over the world. And we try to stay one step ahead. Japan was one step ahead. We're looking at other countries as everybody else is, but it's no one's. It gives us a certain amount of power in terms of hiring writers in that not being blocked by any agency we're not represented by, you know, so it, it changes the dynamic for us. Now has been interesting too, because we have a lot of agent friends and they're always very supportive. And because of this moment in time between the guild and the agencies, I get a lot of, well, let me just send you that person's email. And so the, there isn't that, 
layer in between. And I mean, once you establish that re relationship with the writer, you know, who doesn't love a call that says, I'm such a fan of what you do. Can we figure out a way to work together? So it's really, and that's, that's what we love, you know, mm -hmm. just the writer relationship. So it's, we are, we've had a lot of Zoom calls with people that we maybe would not have had should those relationships be in a different place. And mm -hmm. so it's been a, there's been a little bit of an advantage for us. Mm -hmm. Marty, do you see, uh, do you see major changes for the big agencies coming? Do you see more consolidation? Do you see an effort to maybe focus more on the fundamentals of agencies rather than, than the expansion that we've seen at some shops in the last few years? It's fascinating because I think in this environment that there'll be some small agencies that they'll that people will break off and start some small agencies and be very pro for their clients instead of themselves you know i think you'll see like a, another broder curlin webb come up i think verve is is doing well um i i think that there will be some shifts you know because of what's going on with the writers and what's going on with the studios and stuff. And they're trying to grab for more rights and more sort of power in the dynamic. We've had, we've had some impressive uh, management relationships, relationships with managers that have uh -huh. grown. Um, there are a lot of very impressive young literary managers out there who we kind of align creatively. So we've gotten, that's been interesting too. It is a big moment of transition for this business. It well, is. I love it. <laughs> I love chaos. It's been, you know, it's been really, really good. And I have to mention, we're very lucky because our group that works with us are really, really smart. And one of the things I developed as an agent is developing people in-house. And when you have people grow up in five years now, and when you have people, you know, like Nick Louie and Alyssa Bachner and that, A, they grow up and we tend to be, you know, more in line. And we encourage them to also go off and bring us things, you know, bring us what they love. And it just growing internally is really an important thing. How many people in uh, Tomorrow Studios to, uh, right now? 10, 11. Yeah, and the animation we're starting to build up, you know, so we've expanded our offices and that, but it's been a very organic growth, you know. It's really businesses that are complementary to our main business, you know. Um, we sort of say to them, like, you are an independent producer. Like, think we're all producers, so think about what in your heart and mind do you want to put on television and let us – I'll figure out how to do that. Really trying to encourage that, that creative side. Just go for it. There's nothing we can't try to do. We, we take some really big swings. We don't always hit the ball, but we, we try. <laughs> oh my God, absolutely. Well, it's been fascinating talking with you. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of parse the landscape and good luck with Snowpiercer at long last. I know it's been a, it's been a long road and I can sense the passion that you both have for it. Really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much, Cynthia. Good to talk to you. Always a pleasure, Cynthia. Be well. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week when Strictly Business will feature Bob Greenblatt, chairman of Warner Media Entertainment and direct-to-consumer, talking about the birth of HBO Max. 